Matthew chapter 6 is where we are in the best sermon ever preached. Jesus teaching what his kingdom's like. Quick recap, remember, Jesus takes, he, he goes up on top of a mountain and he calls his disciples unto himself. This is not, this is not 20,000 people, which he would you know, likely have at certain times where he's broadcasting all kinds of messages. This is, hey, you're my followers. Okay, let me tell you what this, this is like and what this kingdom is like. The Sermon on the Mount is not to be read as a, I have to do all of these things in order to be a Christian. The Sermon on the Mount is to be read as, hey, everybody, welcome into my kingdom. This is what it's like. So you're made new by me, and now I want you to understand, if you want to put on the new man, as the scripture commands you to, this is what the new man looks like. How would you even know what the new man looks like? So he's saying, yes, you're made new. Those new desires are there. Now I'm going to clarify them for you even more. So he says all these things. You've heard it said this. And everybody's like, yeah, I'm familiar with that. And he says, but I say this. It's the higher truth. It's the better truth. It's the clear truth. And so he's bringing comfort. He's bringing correction. He's bringing clarity. He's showing what the kingdom is like in teaching. He's already been showing what it's like in practice. What is God really like? He was preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how he started his ministry. And then he's healing people like crazy. Healing people like crazy, obscene amounts of people. And can you imagine, can you imagine throughout the countryside of Israel as the good news is being shared, somebody's being healed. Can't you imagine how all the chronic illnesses, all the things that would have been going on, how people would have been so eager to travel, they would have heard good news about this rabbi. He preaches with a power. He preaches with authority, not like the scribes, not like the Pharisees. There's something different. Oh, and by the way, God is confirming this ministry with the healing miracles. So Jesus' ministry is growing. He's showing what the kingdom of God is really like. And he's continuing to show us how good God is. And then here in chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, he really gets into the comfort of knowing that you have a father. Last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> and in the Lord's Prayer we started off by seeing Jesus says, Our Father who is in heaven. He says, Don't pray like the pagans. They pray, they repeat things over and over, thinking they'll be heard for their many words. Oh, I said all this, I did all this, so now God will hear me, now God will listen to me. No, you'll, you'll be heard, you'll be listened to, because you have a father. It's not based upon you, it's based upon your father. So it's with that confidence that you should come with faith. So we're in the middle of Advent. Advent is the time marking and counting down, looking forward to Christ's birth. And we mark this with the four Sundays in front of Advent. If you're familiar with Advent, the four Sundays are labeled as the, the Sunday of hope, the Sunday of peace, the Sunday of joy, and the Sunday of love. And today, perfectly, we land on the Sunday of peace. And that's exactly what the Lord's going to minister to you through the scriptures as Jesus tells us to not worry. So let's look here in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. Remember, he's on a mountaintop here. He's seated. All the disciples are standing listening. And he's probably referencing what's right around them. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. That might have even brought laughter from, from his disciples. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Look how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat? Or what, what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of God for the people of God. So, of course, Jesus brings us great comfort, great reassurance, and great correction. Don't you just love his tone? What a blessing. As you, as you understand the context, you remember where he's at. He's going, look at the birds. Maybe they're looking down in the valley. Look at the lilies. Maybe there was a field right there. Look at the lilies. You're worth much more than these birds. You're worth much more than the field. He's just using this basic logic. Doesn't your father care for the critters? Yeah, well, he loves you much more. You're much more important. You're much more cared for. Your father is the language that he keeps bringing to them. All worry, all anxiety in my life could be basically summed up as a man who is acting like God is not his father or a man who has forgotten that God is his father. I suspect the same is true for any of us. We think there are many things worth worrying about. Some stuff is justified, daggone it, and I'm going to worry about it. No matter what, if I don't worry about it, who's going to? I mean, somebody's got to stress it over this thing. We've got to handle it. We've got to chew on it over and over because if I don't, you know, who's going to handle it? Health issues. I've got to worry about that. My lost family members who aren't following Christ. I've got to worry about that. Strained relationships. Of course, I've got to be anxious and chew on it over and over. Money. Of course, I'm going to worry about money, right? World events. Not having the things that I need. These are some things that's just automatic, right? I've just normalized it. Many of us have normalized it in life and in conversation. Hey, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. Even among the church, like there's stuff that's justifiable. Among us preachers, among us Christians, even us, we say, yeah, I'm worried about this, worried about that. Coming a big boom here in a second. No matter what, I've, I've, got, all, I've got all these temptations. There it was. And it's easy to justify. That's the Lord's confirmation on his word. The Lord is pleased with the preaching of his word. There's many things that we're tempted to. And Jesus starts off, don't be anxious about what? About your life. Oh, everything. And then, yeah, he gets really specific. He gets really practical. He goes, so for example, what you're going to eat. For example, what you're going to wear. And these were important things. They're important for us. I mean, how many had trouble getting dressed this morning? Like, did, did it give you any trouble? You're like, oh, this or that. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Do wear something, by all means. But don't worry about it. You know, were you struggling over breakfast? Were you struggling over, are you struggling over lunch? What we're going to do for these meals or those meals? Or for the party that you're going to host? Oh, what about this? What about that? Hey, these are good things. These are important things. But God provides for you. And that's... The delight, that's the joy of your father. So there are many things that we can do that we can worry about. But honestly, it's just, a real, it's just the revelation that I've forgotten that I have a father. Because only a person 
who forgets that they have a father has to worry. Natalie and I will often look at each other and we'll reference one of our boys and we'll say, oh, to be eight, you know, to be 12, to be 15, whatever it may be, but, you know, especially the younger they are. And parents, you've had those moments, right, where you're, you've looked at the kids and you're just like, just, just not a care in the world. And our father goes, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, if only I could be that way again. And our father's going, why can't you? Do you not have a father? Well, I've got more responsibilities now, but are you really the top of the food chain? When you believe that you are, then the pressure comes and it, and it crushes you as opposed to going, I'm getting to live a glorious life that my father provides. And now I can flow into the life that the Holy Spirit has built for me. I can take the steps because he guides the steps of the righteous man, the man who seeks his kingdom first, the man who puts his priorities first. But worry is a strange thing. Anxiety is such a thief. It's a thief of joy. It's a thief to peace. I knew I'd get some amens on that. I mean, it's, you could be so comforted, right? And then the bad news comes in. Or you remember something. You're like, why am I so at ease? Why am I so at ease? Have you ever found yourself doing that? Why am I so at rest today? Something's off here. Instead of that being the norm, that's become our exception. Like, why am I so at ease? Oh, that's right. I remember the big problem in my life. Let me put it back on the throne. Whew, that was a close one. I had almost had Jesus as king. Uh, but, but I put this, this my, worries, my worry stone, I got it back now. I can rub on it some more. Yeah, just keep handling it. Right, right. I have something to be anxious about again. Whew, uh, I lost myself there for a minute. No, you were actually starting to, to walk in peace. Or maybe it truly was a forgetfulness. There's something better than forgetfulness. It's true rest. You don't just have to forget your needs. The presence of the Lord doesn't just cause you to forget and your mind goes blank and you go, huh. Like, remember Men in Black? After someone had, had interaction with the aliens, they would come and they would, hey, look into this light for me. And poof. And they say, you're happy, you're good, nothing ever happened here. And you're like, okay, I'm happy, I'm good. Nothing ever happened here. And you move on. That's not what the Lord does. He's not denying the reality that we live in. He's not saying that we can never make preparations for tomorrow. But he says, don't be anxious about what? Anything. That sounds unreasonable. Well, spoken like someone who hasn't walked in the presence. Because again, when we abide in his presence, that is the ultimate antidote, of course, to worry and to anxiety. I remember going to the beach as a kid, and I called my brother Bub. Uh, but Bub and I, we still laugh about this sometimes. Or, or we were talking about this, I think, this week is what happened. Um, but as a kid, you know, before... Growing up, when, when I grew up, it was before everybody was constantly watching their kids. Like, I take my kids to the beach, and I'm basically like full-time lifeguard, you know, nonstop. Whereas when I went to the beach as a kid with mom and dad, mom and dad, like, napped on a towel, and we got into the ocean, and then we just were carried for miles. Like, that's just, that was, that was my upbringing. Like, you get in the water, you're playing, and you're like, where's our parents? Like, I don't know. And your parents aren't like, where's our kids? They're just like... The beach is great, you know? They're like, whatever happens, happens, you know? Like, we're on vacation right now. It was the 90s. It was, the 90s. It was, a, it was good times. So, you know, we just drift down shore, and eventually we're like, I have no idea where we are. That hotel does not look familiar. I think that's ours, like, two miles that way. So you get back on shore, and, and you start walking back, and you're just looking at all these people on the beach. You're like, no, that's not ours. No, that's not ours. And you're like, there's our parents. 
and, and you finally make it back to save and you get your snacks, you know, you get your drinks again until you go out and get wrecked by the waves again. I have found worry to be a similar thing. Worry is like that. Christ is the solid land, but worry will carry you far away from his presence. And the longer you stay in it, you're like, well, I gotta, I gotta handle this, I gotta handle this. The solution is to come out of the water. The solution is to come back on shore. And worry's going, but I'm inviting. And you're going, there's some temptation there, no doubt. There's real temptation there. But nothing is accomplished. Nothing is accomplished. Nothing productive. Actually, negative, meaning negative things are accomplished. But nothing productive is accomplished. So it's this, it's this weird thing where I feel like I'm actually getting something done. If there feels like there's some productivity to worry. Honestly, it does. For me, it feels like, like I'm working towards solution. But I'm not. I'm just working towards more stress. I'm working towards anxiety. And I'm not walking by faith. I'm not. I'm not walking by faith when I'm in worry. I'm not walking in freedom. I'm walking in this pressure. I'm walking in this anxiety. And, of course, this is not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to set the captives free. So he's bringing this freedom, this encouragement. Obviously, if we're going to trust God, then we want to trust him with everything. So Jesus says, don't worry about your life. But we've come to believe that anxiety or worry is not a choice, but it is an inevitable result of life on this earth. The phrase, my anxiety, has been growing in popularity in recent years as more and more people accept worry as their fate. Have you noticed that? Even among teenagers. Like, I notice it most among teenagers. I see reels online, uh, quick little snippet videos, and like young teenagers be like, my anxiety this or my anxiety that. Like, when I was in high school... Like, that wasn't a thing. Nobody thought about that. I'm sure there were probably some, some particular kids who maybe dealt with that, but it wasn't so talked about. I think there might be two things going on. I think there might be, on one hand, there's a little bit more awareness on something that there needs to be some awareness on. But I think, on the other hand, there's also a lot more of, like, I guess this is normal. And I don't think everybody's, like, looking to be proud of it as a victim either. I think it's just, I think it's opening a doorway. It's opening a door that they didn't even know that... That existed, and now they welcome it freely. Like this is the human experience, but it's not supposed to be. So everybody's going, "My my anxiety, my anxiety, my anxiety." It's like, yeah, of course I have anxiety. Of course I have anxiety. What do you think I am? A dog? A Labrador? No, I've got to have anxiety. You know, I'm a human being, and so it's become more and more and more and more normalized. And of course, that's not the kingdom. This is an obvious area for us as the church to go. When we hear that, when we see that, when we feel that, to go, kingdom needs to break in here. And the good news about the kingdom is there's a king. So whenever there's a king, anxiety can be destroyed. So, hey, oh, my anxiety's going crazy today. Well, you, now you can pray for that. Hey, can I pray with you really quick? And your coworker looks at you. Yeah, sure, that's fine. Okay, that's all we needed. That's all we needed. We're not Superman, but we know the king. And now he's going to move in power. Now he can move in to bring blessing. But we don't want to welcome this thing. It's not a pet that we want to stroke and go, ah, oh, old friend, welcome back. No, no, no. Get out. This is, this is the animal that you don't want in your yard. You need to kick this thing in the ribs and send it on its way. How do we do that? By running to the king, casting all of our cares on him. To be anxious means to worry or having careful thought. Careful thought, very careful. I'm analyzing it from every perspective. I am meditating on it. When we have careful thought over negative things, we strengthen our ability to worry, and we're doing it through practice. So I can get better at that. So we might think, man, this is hard. It is true. 
It can be hard to meditate on the right things. But everybody knows how to meditate. Every single human knows how to meditate. You meditate when you worry. When you're worrying on something, that's meditation. You're chewing on it. You're considering it. You're talking to others about it. I mean, you, it's, it's consuming. Well, that's meditation, except on the wrong thing. It might have been the easiest one to slide into. We fell into that one by the flesh. The other one we pursue by the Spirit. Well, my muscles are weak there. That's okay. We can strengthen them, but we must. It's worth it, and the Lord commands it, and there's a rich blessing that comes from it. We all know how to meditate. It's a question of what will we meditate on. There's a, a secular uh, proverb that goes something like, there are two wolves inside of you. One is good and one is evil. And they're going to fight. They're going to go at it. Which one is going is to win the fight? And the answer to the proverb is the one that you feed. So, oh no, it's, it sounds like an epic battle. Well, the, the good news is you get to feed one. So there's, there's peace that comes from the Holy Spirit in your spirit. And there's your flesh that has every other temptation. The two wolves, oh no, it's going to be a 50-50 fight. No, it doesn't have to be. If you feed one of them every day and starve the other one every day, it become, the other one just becomes a snack. And this is the point that Jesus is bringing us. Jesus is the good shepherd who feeds our spirit with his truth. And that's what you're doing right now. You're feeding. The Lord is feeding you. We are the sheep. We're not wolves, but we are the sheep. And we have a shepherd so we can be protected. After telling us to not be anxious about our entire life, Jesus gets more specific. He says, don't worry about money. Don't worry about material things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. So he's referencing their provision. Your life is far more important than the pieces that often seem so essential. Your life is far more than getting dressed this morning. Have you been worried about the grocery prices? Worrying about what you're going to eat? I've been there. I've had that temptation. Ooh, man, this is crazy. And then I start to get mad. And then I start to have a political rant. And now here I am all worked up. And here I am like, and if only this, if only that. Ah, John Michael. So you're going to solve all the problems through, through the systems of man with the next election, right? If only you had a king, John Michael, you wouldn't have to worry so much about the presidents. Well, no, I didn't mean that. Ah, what did you mean, John Michael? No, I'm just, I'm just, it's all right. Correct it. <laughs> Correct it. You, you can repent. It's all right, John Michael. Just shut up and go, go back the other way and say, you know what? Lord, forgive me. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to lose my peace over this. I have a father in heaven and he provides for the Clark household far better than John Michael ever will. <clears throat> he loves us. He feeds the birds. He's going to feed the Clarks. We're worth more than many birds. You are worth more than many sparrows. He cares for you much more than he cares for the fields. So your life is so much more than these things. And your father actually wants you to literally trust him for greater things. And these lesser things are in front of your face every single day. So do the birds seem stressed to you? I mean, look at birds, seriously. Do they seem stressed? That's, what a great example for Jesus to you. They just flit over here. They flit over there. They're just burden. Like they're just doing their thing. Just chilling, having a good time, waking me up way too early in the morning. They're just so happy. They're like, it's a new day. Praise the Lord. I'm like, I will praise the Lord at seven when the alarm goes off. <laughs> Not before. I rebuke you, little bird. Go, go worship elsewhere. The birds seem to have a freedom. 
They seem to have time. And you're worth much more than they are. The lilies of the field. Do flowers. Have you ever looked at a beautiful flower and actually enjoyed it? And actually delighted and gone, wow. Do flowers seem stressed out to you? Seriously, these are the points he wanted to make. These are the dots he wanted to connect. Oh yeah, birds, flowers, I get it, I get it. Do you though? Look at the birds. Actually, that even in itself takes time. I don't have time for all that. Then you, then you definitely need to look at the birds. I didn't say you have to become a professional bird watcher, uh, but you need to take a moment and go, man, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. God clothes the the grass with glory. How much more will he clothe you? Let's look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Worry can't make you live longer. It'll just seem like you're living longer because everything is so miserable and so difficult. But worry can actually shorten your life and make you more miserable. We know that. We've found that out through research and observation. So worry is not doing anything productive for us. We understand that logically. And also logically, it's a burden to us. And Jesus points that out to his disciples. Hey, who here can add a minute to their life by worrying about it? Like, well, nobody. Well, what am I going to do instead? Come to the Father. Come to the Father. I'm so glad you asked. Come to the Father. Cast your cares on Christ because he cares for you. Look at verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is so warm. He's so kind. He's so good. He also has no problem throwing in the insult and the correction in the middle of it. O you of little faith. There's the needed correction there as well. Hey, you're not believing. You're not trusting. And we've talked about this before. Jesus makes much of, of great faith. He, he's, he doesn't like little faith, but then we've also brought the clarification that he says a mustard seed is enough. So it's not that he's exactly condemning that their faith isn't big enough. It's the fact that faith isn't present. Present faith is enough faith because a mustard seed can move a mountain. So the point is faith makes all the difference in the world. It doesn't take, I need more faith. It's just, just faith. Don't, let's not overcomplicate faith. Walking and trusting the Lord to any degree unlocks all the potential of heaven because God takes responsibility for those who trust in him. He takes full responsibility for those who trust in him. And that's what we want. So we want to get into that place of faith. We say we have faith for our death. That moment, the most helpless moment of our entire existence. All of us have it coming. It's not a pleasant thought. I can't imagine it's going to feel good, that transition out of the earth suit. But it's coming. And that's okay. And we have faith that in that helpless moment of our existence, that our Father is going to take us and bring us to himself and to glory. Amen. And all the saints say, amen. And then we go, but I don't know about next week and how things are going to go with this situation. But I, I, yeah, I can trust him for that most monumental moment to know that I'm secure in Christ and that my eternity is, is locked up in the blood of Jesus. But then we worry that we can't trust him for our daily bread. Jesus said, this is how the godless think. Actually, he said, this is how the Gentiles think, which, by the way, that's us. He's, he's cutting down on the, he's like, he's talking to his Jewish disciples. He's like, that's what the Gentiles do. Now, we are technically Gentiles, but now we are also uh, the seed of Abraham by faith. So we have been grafted in. We were from a different tree. We were cut off from that tree, thank God, and now we've been grafted in. 
A wound was put onto Christ, and now our branch has been joined to Christ. Thank you, Lord. And we're happy. We're thankful. We're that prodigal. By the way, the, the story of the prodigal son, the parable was actually about the older brother. All, there's plenty of truth everywhere in it, but the parable was against the Jews. It was not just for the prodigal. He was like, hooray. It was the older brother saying the, the harshness. I, I don't want you to love him. I don't want you to welcome him. And that's who Jesus was telling that parable against. But there's plenty of blessing all around. We, can, we should absorb all the truth that's in it. But he's saying this is how the godless think. This is how the Gentiles think and act. Pagans don't have peace, and they do need to worry. So that's why they pray with their empty phrases. The fatherless have to worry, and the fatherless have to strive. But the children of God sit with the Father and rest. What is it that you need to sit with the Father and rest in? Is there anything? Maybe you say, man, I've been walking in peace. I've been walking in freedom. Praise God. Well, make sure that you're also uh, exporting what the Lord has given to you. Make sure you're also exporting that resource. That's an important thing you should be doing. Uh, But for some of us, we're going... I've been handling this thing. I've been worrying over this thing. I need to bring it to the Father. I need to remember and act like a person who has a Father. The children of God sit in rest, sit comforted by what their God has done for them. And then let's look at verse 33, and this is where we're going to close. Not yet, but over the next couple minutes, you know. (laughs) But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, when I was younger in the Lord, I read this verse as a, this is what I have to do to get what I actually want. I don't actually want God and his righteousness, but I just have to, like, do right for him so I can get the stuff that I want. That is an incorrect understanding of what Jesus was teaching, and it's actually a, a, a prayer and a, and a thing that the Lord won't do. The Lord won't be tricked into um, some sort of misunderstanding of the scripture here. So when Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, he's talking about all the things that you need, all the things he was just referencing, which is a lot, by the way, all the things that you need. But this isn't just listing the order of operations. This is also the description of desire. So it's not just, I got to do this so I can get that. That was my immature, self-centered thinking. But seeking first God's kingdom means that God and what he wants has first place in my heart. That's actually what I want. That's actually what I desire. And in pursuing God and walking with my Father and loving him, well, yeah, all these things are added unto you as well. Duh, obviously. The king is responsible for the kingdom. That's how it works. Joseph and Mary give us great examples to follow here. These two people were focused on God and God's will and God's kingdom. So I want to, I told you we're going to close here, but kind of. I'm going to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I read this to you the other night. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word that Mary used there when she said, I'm the servant of the Lord, that word means slave. And she didn't have any baggage or issue to say, I am the slave of the Lord. Nor did Paul, when he opens up some of his letters, he didn't say, Apostle Paul, the one who was carried into heaven and given great revelation beyond what probably what anyone else has ever seen. He didn't introduce himself that way. You know how he introduced himself? Paul, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody. James, the brother of Jesus, instead of saying, hey, I grew up with him. I'm just saying, you know, like I was there from the beginning, all the stuff. I mean, he's my older brother. So, you know, I kind of got the inside row. He introduced himself, James, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's good to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ain't going to be nobody's slave. Well, that just means you just don't know the master <laughs> because you would definitely want to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in my mind, slavery means, yeah, I know, but, it, but it's not how he is. So it's not. So, well, I've always thought about it. This, yeah, I, I agree, and, that, and that's an evil kind of slavery. This is a different kind of slavery that we love and welcome. Uh, we love and worship our master, and it's a good thing. And Mary was saying the same thing. She says, nobody came and asked her, by the way. No one said, hey, would it be all right if she said, I'm a servant of the Lord? Like, of course. What a... What a treasure, what a prize, what a blessing, what a delight. I'm going to bear the Son of God. What, a, what, a, what an insane thing. Just another Jewish girl living her Jewish life. They're all waiting on the Messiah. Someday he'll come in some grand and glorious way, in some powerful way. And now here Mary is working faithfully. A righteous woman loves the Lord. And the Lord says, I can work with this. This is good. She's seeking first the kingdom of God, seeking first his righteousness. That's what she cared about. That's what it looks like, saints, to actually seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Not, I did this and now I'm looking for something. You're going to be provided for. But that snotty, bratty, entitled attitude is gross. And it's not what's being described in the text. Jesus tells us this when he says the greatest command is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, but what about me? You're loved. Everything belongs to you. Don't be a brat. Don't be like the older brother. The, this younger brother of mine comes and you kill the fatted calf. You put a gold ring on him. You put a robe on him. The father says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have you can always have. But we should rejoice. It's right. Your brother was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. And now he's found. And the older brother wouldn't come in. I'm not coming in. But our approach should be, I love you, Lord. And that's what the prodigal did. His motive was not, maybe I can trick dad into giving me some stuff. 
Maybe I can trick dad to welcoming me back in. He didn't come back saying, look, I know I made mistakes, but you ought to be a good parent. Okay, you ought to love your kids no matter what. He says, you know what, maybe I can go back. Maybe I can be a slave in dad's house. Like I can't be his son. I've broken that and messed that up. I've ruined everything there. But maybe I could just go be a slave. So he's practicing. He's rehearsing his I'm so sorry, I'm an idiot speech. Could I be a servant in the house just so I don't starve to death? It's that attitude. It's the humility. It's I love you and I still want to be in your house. And then it's the, it's the father's gift to give. It's not mine to take and demand and extract. It's the father's gift to give. And he gives freely for crying out loud. Obviously, he gives freely. Romans 8.32, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also freely give us everything else? The answer is yes. It's a rhetorical question. Of course he will. Of course he has. Of course he does. Joseph and Mary found that out to be true. As the, Joseph, the scripture calls a righteous man. Mary, obviously a righteous woman. A little over two years later, we see where the Lord is delivering gold to their front doorstep doorstep as the three wise men, or we don't know if it was three, as the wise men come, travel from afar, where they had started their journey two years earlier, when the righteous people were doing righteous things because they loved their God. And they're saying, we don't have all the answers for the future, but we're going to obey. We're going to follow him. We're going to obey. We're going here. We're going to do what he says. We're going to be in Bethlehem. And now gold frankincense and myrrh wealth shows up on their doorstep you couldn't feed the baby jesus at two years old gold gold had a purpose it wasn't it was to worship him and it was also a resource for his parents to use like when you give if you give a gift to to parents because they're having a baby you're not saying like no this is just for the baby like no this is for this is for you you're the leaders you're the rulers here and you need to do what needs to be done You have a father who assumes full responsibility for those who trust in him. Joseph and Mary found that out. Haven't you found that out too? You look at the times, you look at the seasons, you look at the moments. You just assume full humility. Assume the position and posture of a servant. And the Lord says, oh, I'm responsible for them now. Before, when you were the hotshot, you're responsible for you. I got this. And the Lord says, really? Yeah, yeah, I got this. That's not what I wanted. I wanted to bless you. I wanted to give to you. But you're not trusting me. You're not walking with me. You're my child, but you're, you're, you're not acting like it in this moment. So now you've got the full pressure of everything you're trying to carry. I got it, Lord. Or, the, or what we really do is hilarious. Whereas I, I carry the burden, I carry the burden, I carry the burden. And then eventually I get really frustrated. I get really discouraged. I've been carrying the burden. And then what do I do? I snap. And I go, Lord, have you noticed how heavy this is? When are you going to bring the relief? And he's going, I don't like your tone. So fix that. I'm sorry, Lord, what I meant was this. Oh, okay, well, I've got it. I I was always willing and able. You're always weak. You're always incapable. Apart from him, you can do nothing. He is the vine. We are the branches. In Christ is our life. In Christ is our peace, as Isaiah told us, the prince of peace. He's already providing for you. Walk by faith, trusting in him, leaning on him, taking everything to the Father. Lord, I'm concerned about this. So help me to give it to you right now. I give everyone and everything to you. That's a good prayer. That's a simple one. I give everyone and everything to you. Well, does that include? Yep. I give everyone and I give everything to you. Where's the answer? It's on the way. 
It's on the way. The wise men are saddling their donkeys right now. Walk by faith. They might be here in two years. They might be here in two weeks. They might be here in two minutes. That's not your jurisdiction. To walk by faith is you to go, I have a father. He's going to provide. I have a father. Mary, we're running out of money. Joseph, we're running out of money. I'm not sure what that means for this next season. How are we going to ever make it to Egypt? You know, what about this? What about that? And on your doorstep one day, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy men say, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this. Encouragement, prophecy, whatever it is that you need, don't worry. And how do we do that? We get out of the water of worry. Get back onto the shoreline and be with peace. Jesus is your peace. And being with the Lord in his presence is the antidote to worry. Don't worry about your life. Why? Because you have a good father. That's why. Don't worry about your life. God, you're such a good father. Thank you for the encouragement that you bring through your word. Jesus, thank you for just your loving attitude, how you care for us. In some ways, it seems ridiculous. Why would you care to teach us about our clothing and our food? But you do. You know who we are. You know how you built us. You know what we're facing each day. And you said that you know and our Father knows before we even ask. But still, you want us to ask. You want us to be dependent children. Whether we're actually young children on the earth or old children. Whether we're 8 years old or 88 years old. Or anything in between. God, help us to actually depend on you. To actually abide. Jesus, you said that unless we become like little children, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Help us to live that childlike faith again, God. That you would look at us and say, oh, to be a child. That you would actually be the father who bears all the weight of our life. That we would put you in that position that you so eagerly assume full responsibility for those who trust you. I say that this is a people of faith. This is is a people of faith. This is a people of freedom. God, break anxieties, break worries. But they can't just be broken off. They have to be replaced with a greater affection, a greater pursuit. We're not just playing defense against worry and fear. We play offense by pursuing and getting in your presence. We give everyone and everything to you. In 10 minutes from now, we might have to do it again, but we, we commit to it, God. We commit to keep bringing it back to you. Oh, Lord, whoops, I picked this up again. Lord, please take it. It seems like I've got Velcro on me, and this thing keeps coming on, but I peel it off in Jesus' name, and I put it back on you. I walk in peace, knowing that my Lord will direct me, and he will always provide. We thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen.